Good morning. We are engaged in this year-long one-word study. And every week when we have gathered on Sunday morning for worship, uh, we have discussed a word, an important word from the Scriptures uh, that pertains to our faith. And we are on the final stretch. We're on the downhill slope. We just have less than, well, not counting today, less than three months left in our one-word study. You see the banners over here and the slide up here, and hopefully you've still, you still know where your devotional book is. I'll say that. Maybe you haven't been reading it faithfully, but you, it, you can remember where you put it at least. And I'll give you points for that. It's October, all right? We started in January. But this month, we are going to embark upon a mini-series Every Sunday in October, we're going to be talking about uh, a different life challenge, a different struggle that we face. Next week, the word is suffering. The week after that, shame, then guilt. And then the final word in this mini-series on the last Sunday of October will be grief. And Alex and I will both be up here that Sunday jointly presenting the sermon on grief. And as I said last week, I hope that you don't experience any grief when you leave here from having two preachers up on the stage at one time. But the, uh, good, maybe one little chuckle, I'll take it. (laughs) The word for today is worry. And the message of this sermon is two simple words. Don't worry. That's the message. And so... If you just came for the bottom line, you can start gathering your things, and there, there are the doors. That is the message uh, boiled down in a nutshell of the sermon this morning. Don't worry. Stop it with the anxiety, with the nervous fretting, with the undue concern that you have for all sorts of things. Don't worry. There's an old comedy sketch with Bob Newhart. Many of you remember Bob Newhart. He had a TV show a long time ago. And he is a counselor or a a psychologist, and he's in an office, uh, and a woman comes in, and he's seated behind uh, uh, his desk, and the lady has a seat in this nice leather chair, and he says, well, go ahead, share with me your problem. And she says, well, I have this fear that I'm going to be buried alive in a wooden box. And he says, well, has anybody ever tried to bury you alive in a wooden box before? And she says, no. And she says, because of this fear, I don't like to be in, you know, an enclosed space, uh, in a room, even in a house. Anything box-like really makes me afraid. And so Bob Newhart, acting as the counselor, sits back in his chair, and he says, I have two words that I'd like to share with you, and I'd like for you to remember these two words, and I'd like for you to take them with you when you leave my office and apply them to your life. And so she starts reaching for a pad and a pen. She says, I'm going to write these down. May I write these down? And he says, well, that's fine if you must, but just two words. Most people don't have any trouble remembering them. And so she's got her pad ready and her pen. He says, okay, are you ready for the two words? Yes. And he leans over the desk and he says, stop it. (laughs) And she's taken aback. uh, And she says, excuse me. And he says, okay, I'll repeat the, the two words. Stop it. Not the picture, the perfect picture of a a counselor, not very understanding of her needs. But if you've come in here this morning and you struggle with worry, 
then the message of the sermon today, not in that tone, but the message of the sermon today is, is stop it. Don't worry. But I know that we have some folks in the house today who say, well, that's much easier said than done. It's much, much easier to say stop the worry than to actually stop worrying. And you would be right. Worry has a stranglehold on our society. I have read that anxiety disorders are the most prevalent mental disorders in the United States. In the year 2004, over 10 years ago, the estimated cost of care for anxious patients was $400 million just in one year. And a 20-year-old study estimated that the annual societal costs, what it cost our nation for anxiety disorders, exceeded $42 billion in one year. And that was 20 years ago, nearly 20 years ago. What would that figure be now? And of course, these figures don't take into account the people who struggle with anxiety but never seek treatment. Or the people who just struggle with run-of-the-mill, day-to-day worry. With all of this in mind, with the worry, with the anxiety that is an epidemic in our culture, it's ironic to me that pop culture often tells us, don't worry. They tell us not to be worried. Stevie Wonder says, don't you worry about a thing. And Bob Marley once sang, don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be all right. And yet, despite these calls to not worry, it seems that we are just becoming more and more anxious. Pop culture tells us not to worry, but pop culture doesn't have the resources to help us stop worrying. But maybe the Bible can help. Maybe God's Word has a fresh word to us about worry. The message today is from Philippians chapter 4 at verse 6 and 7. So if you want to grab your Bible and open up there, that would be helpful to you. Grab a Bible, Philippians 4, verse 6. I'll have most of the text up here on the screen. But the message today, which I have already revealed to you, I, I normally don't like to reveal the big point at the beginning, but as I have already said, the message is don't worry. Well, that's Paul's message in Philippians 4 at verse 6, to this early church, to the church at Philippi, the church that he helped to establish. He says, as he is beginning to wrap up the letter in chapter 4 at verse 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious, not just about some things or most things. Don't be anxious about a single thing. Don't worry. Stop it. And some of you may be thinking, well, that's easy for Paul to say. Paul, the great preacher and missionary and and writer of most of the books in our New Testament, of course he didn't struggle with worry. He was a super Christian. Jesus appeared to him personally on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus. He was going to Damascus to round up some followers of Jesus Christ, and bind them up and take them back to Jerusalem in order to imprison them. And on the road, Jesus himself appeared to Paul. And Paul believes the gospel. And when he returns 
to Jerusalem some days later. He's not returning as a persecutor of the church. He's returning as a preacher of the gospel. He actually saw Jesus. So it's no wonder that Paul can say things like, don't be anxious about anything. Because Paul actually had a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw him in person. And Paul was an apostle, he reveals to us in 1 Corinthians 15. Sort of like the other apostles who walked with Jesus, who Jesus trained and then sent out. He was an apostle born out of due season, he says. He says, I am the least of all the apostles, but he was still an apostle. So yeah, it must be easy for Paul to say things like, don't worry or don't be anxious. And he could perform miracles as a result of his apostleship. Like that time in the city of Lystra, when there was a man who couldn't walk. He could never walk. He had been crippled since birth. And Paul looked at him, and he told him to stand up. And the guy stood up, and he could suddenly walk, and he'd never been able to before. God worked miracles through Paul. He had miraculous, the ability to perform miracles as a result of his apostleship. So no wonder Paul has no trouble saying, don't be anxious. I mean, he saw Jesus. He was an apostle. He had miraculous gifts. But not so fast. Because we know some other things about Paul too. Like the fact that he struggled with sin. Despite seeing Jesus, despite the fact that he was an apostle, despite his ability to perform miracles. In Romans chapter 7, Paul gets very personal. And he says, and I want to read this from his own mouth, Romans 7 at verse 18. I think you will be able to relate. He says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I want to do the right thing, but I don't feel like I have the resources within me to do it, to carry it out. And he goes on, listen to this, verse verse 19, I do not do the good that I want to do, it is the evil I do not want that I keep on doing. Can you relate to Paul? I want to do good, but I don't. I don't want to do evil, but that's what I keep doing. As As a fellow struggler, excuse me, as a fellow struggler with sin, I know I am speaking to a room full of fellow strugglers with sin. Paul places himself within that camp. He struggles with sin. And what's more, he struggled with some personal limitations. He reveals in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 6, that he didn't have a great speaking ability. If you didn't already know that about Paul, does that surprise you about Paul? Considering all the speaking that he did? He traveled to all of these places, taking with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. He preached the gospel, and yet he reveals that he's limited in his speaking ability. There was another Christian leader of his era named Apollos, who was a much better speaker, much more eloquent, much more polished. And people flocked after Apollos, and Paul says, you know what, I'm not as good a preacher as Apollos. Paul, the apostle, struggled with personal limitations. And he had an unknown burden that he reveals in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, but he said it was a messenger from Satan sent to harass him and to humble him. And he asked God to remove it three times, but God says, I won't because my grace is sufficient for you. But Paul struggled with that, whatever it was, whether it was a physical ailment, we don't know, a thorn in the flesh. 
And then on top of that, on top of all that, we need to keep in mind where Paul is writing this letter from which our text comes. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Where, where is Paul when he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi? He's in prison. He's chained up. He's in the stocks. He is most likely imprisoned in Rome at the end of his life, awaiting execution. Behind bars. And Paul writes this, do not be anxious about anything. He was in prison. He struggled with sin. He had personal limitations and a thorn in the flesh, an unknown burden. Paul had plenty to be worried about. So let us not, when we read this, think, well, sure, Paul could say that. He was Paul. No, Paul had plenty to worry about. And yet, somehow, Paul is able, with authority, to, to say, don't be anxious about anything. And then, then later on in chapter 4, he says that he has learned in whatever situation he's in to be content. And we know what situation he's in when he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. He's in prison. So somehow Paul has figured it out. He can say, don't be worried, and he's learned contentment. And so he's able to say here, don't be anxious. Now we've looked a little bit about what Paul had to worry about, but what is it that you're worried about this morning? What are you worried about? We've got a big crowd here today. And I doubt that there are many who came in this morning who have no worries. In fact, I bet there are no people who came here this morning who don't have at least a minor worry affecting their head or their heart, nagging on them. And some of you came in this morning with some really heavy burdens and some very significant worries and concerns in your life. What are you worried about? You know, of course there are some who are genetically predisposed to struggle with worry and anxiety. But I want us to shine a spotlight on the environmental factors of Western culture that contribute to the worry that we experience, to this epidemic in our culture. We all think in American life that the people who live just above us at the next socioeconomic level are the normal ones. And psychologists call this normalcy bias. It's always the people who are a step above us that we think, well, that's, that's the life. That's the good life. That's the normal life. That's what I should be striving for. And so in order to reach them, we start living above our means. We start spending more than we have. And this kind of lifestyle makes us terribly anxious. And maybe you're involved in that right now. Maybe you're spending more than what you got in order to live at whatever you think's going to give you the good life. At that next level, the level above you. I've heard countless people say after they take a trip to a third world country, maybe a mission trip, they come back and they say, those people, they had smiles on their face and they were so happy despite having so little. But you know what? Maybe they're happy because they have so little. And maybe we're unhappy because we can't be satisfied with what we have. And we have to keep working until we have more and more. We also think 
that those who achieve more, who are more successful, are happier. And so we exhaust ourselves trying to achieve more, trying to do better, trying to have more notoriety. And we get more and more worried that because we just can't quite get there. And we look on social media and we see that person winning that award or, or that person achieving that, and we think, oh, I wish I was a little more successful like they are. And so we keep spinning our wheels, trying to achieve more, and we become more and more worried. And here's another cultural, cultural factor. We have more information at our fingertips than anybody who has ever walked this world has ever had via the internet. And I think specifically about medical information. You can get online and scare yourself to death about any ailment, about any little cough or sniffle. This kind of thing, and, it, and it's not just pertaining to medical information, how we try to self-diagnose using the internet. It's all this information that's out there just flooding our eyes and our ears, and it's making us more anxious and worried. The more that we know, the more anxious we become. So what are you worried about? I want you to ask yourself this question this morning, because you're not going to leave out those doors changed and transformed by the Word of God unless you allow it to speak to you personally. So what is it that you're worried about? Are you worried about a personal limitation? like Paul, something that's ailing you, something that's preventing you from doing what you want to do or serving God in the way that you want to serve? Are you struggling with some sort of burden uh, that is weighing you down, a burden that affects a family member or a close friend? Maybe you're worried about some, some bigger issues affecting our nation and our world, maybe the instability in our world, maybe the recent natural disasters that we have witnessed. Are you worried about a sin in your past? Are you worried about a sin that you have not yet repented of and confessed to God and asked for forgiveness? Or maybe you're worried about a sin for which you have already repented for which God has already granted forgiveness, and yet you are still dragging that burden around with you. You're still worried about it. Even after you have come before God and humbled yourself, even after you know that as a baptized believer, that blood of His Son has cleansed you from all unrighteousness, you're still worried about it. What is it that you're worried about today? Paul says, don't be anxious anymore. Stop it. Stop with the worry. It has no place in the life of a Christian, is what Paul says. It has no place in our vocabulary, worry. But why? Why is it that Scripture instructs us not to worry? Let's continue to dig into this. Well, for one, it's unproductive. And I found it so interesting that in many of your Sunday school classes this morning, you also talked about worry. God's trying to tell us something, isn't he? We're talking about worry in Sunday school. We're talking about it this morning. We're going to be talking more about it tonight. I want you to come back at six. We're going to continue this discussion. But for one, it's unproductive. And if you were in one of those Sunday school classes where you looked at Matthew chapter six at the Sermon on the Mount, you know that Jesus makes this point in his teaching in verse 27. He says, which of you, by being anxious and literally, Jesus says, can add a cubit to his stature, which was uh, a, a measurement that was around 18 inches. But a lot of interpreters think that Jesus is using a figure of speech here, and what he's really saying is, 
Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your life? Whichever it is, Jesus is saying, worry is worthless. Worry is pointless. It doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't make a difference. It is unproductive. It's not going to add any height to your stature. It's not going to add any days to your life. Uh, There's no reason for you to worry. It is unproductive. It is ineffective. But another reason is this. Why does Scripture instruct us not to worry? Secondly, it betrays a lack of trust in God. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says to those who worry, why do you have such small faith? If we are consumed with worry, what that shows is it is a symptom of a faith ailment. And that we lack the trust in God's faithfulness and His ability to provide for us that we ought to have as faithful followers. Jesus says, think about the birds of the air. Think about the lilies. Think about the grass of the field. Think about how God provides for them, how he adorns them, how he takes care of them. And it was typical in Jewish culture to argue from the lesser to the greater. And so Jesus says, if God cares for those small things, for those tiny birds in the air, for those beautiful lilies in the grass of the field, if he cares for those things, how much more is he going to care for you? You are much more precious. You are much more special in his sight. You are made in his image. You are his precious human creation. How much more is he going to care for you because of who you are if he cares for those small things? So don't worry. Because if you worry, it proves that you doubt God's faithfulness. You don't trust in his care. When you worry, you're questioning God's ability to provide for you. And then, here's the third reason why the Scripture instructs us not to worry. Worrying about, well, I have trivial matters on the screen here. I'll just say lesser matters. Worry about lesser matters prevents us from being concerned about important matters. And this is what we're really going to get into tonight, because there's a difference between worry and concern. And we're going to dig into that. There's a good kind of worry And I want to point you to Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. We looked at this in our Sunday school class. I may not have it on the screen. Let me just read it to you. Paul, I'll start in verse 19. Paul is saying to the Christians at Philippi, it's the same letter we're looking at, the letter that Paul writes from prison to this church. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And that phrase where Paul says, there's nobody like Timothy who has genuine concern for your welfare, that phrase is translated from the same word that we get anxiety. That's used in Philippians 4. And so it's the same word, but it's used in a different sense because it's used in a different context. Here Paul is saying, this is a legitimate type of concern. Timothy has genuine, heartfelt concern for the welfare of these Christians in Philippi. But then when you get to Philippians 4, you see that it's used in a negative sense. The same word. It's used in a negative sense to say, don't be anxious, don't be overly worried, and don't have undue concern, and stop it with this nervous fretting over everything in life. So what I learned from this, it's the same word used in a different sense, is that there is a good kind of worry. We're not going to call it worry. We'll call it concern. And what we get into in this life is that we become worried about the wrong things. 
And that prevents us from being concerned about the right things. Some of us this morning, I want to be very frank. Some of us are worried about all the wrong things. Some of us are too worried about our appearance. We're too worried if we're fit enough. We're too worried if we're fashionable enough. We're too worried if we're fixed up enough. We have become obsessed with the way that we look. And we're worried about it. We're anxious about it. And it's preventing us from from being worried, from being genuinely concerned in the way Paul uses it in Philippians 2 about the right stuff. Some of us are too worried about our country. Now, I'm not saying that concern about this great country in which we live is a bad thing. But I've seen from Christians the past few weeks much more about the flag than I have about the cross. And some of us are more concerned about who's standing before the flag than convincing people that they need to be kneeling before the cross. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad concern to have, but as members of God's kingdom, that supersedes the fact that we are citizens of this great nation. And we ought to be more concerned with people bowing in reverence before our Lord Jesus Christ. But we're too worried about lesser things to have that as a primary concern. Some of us are worried about the wrong things as it pertains to our families and our children. We're too concerned, we're too anxious about whether or not our kids are going to excel in this sport or in that activity. We are training them in all sorts of ways, and yet we are neglecting to train them in the best way, the most important way, which is training in godliness and righteousness. And they may be the most talented human beings that the face of the earth has ever seen, but if we lose their souls, then we've lost it all. And some of us are too worried as it pertains to our children about the wrong stuff. We should be first and foremost worried about the the souls of our kids and their spiritual formation and their growth. You see, we're worried about all these lesser things. And that prevents us from being concerned, genuinely concerned, about the right things. So stop it. Stop worrying. Be anxious for nothing. But here's a question that's probably the most important in this entire sermon. What do I do with all this worry? Maybe you're asking that. You've come here overloaded with worry and anxiety. And you've heard the message... You've heard what the Scriptures teach. Don't be anxious. But you're wondering, what do I do about it? How do I get rid of it? What do I do with all this worry? How did Paul learn to be content, no matter his circumstance? Well, we haven't finished reading Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. So let's do that right now. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be anxious. Be prayerful. And so the bottom line here is, pray about it. And maybe you think, well, that seems pretty, it seems too simple. It seems simplistic. Well, it is simple, but it's not simplistic. It's the best, most powerful thing that we can do when we find ourselves struggling with worry and anxiety. Paul says, don't be anxious about everything. Don't be anxious about anything, rather. Take everything by prayer and supplication to God. Pray about it. 
I mean, I'm wondering if we have people out there who, for some reason, for whatever reason, you forgot to pray about it. Now listen, I know we've got people who are worried and you've been praying. You've been fervently praying. But there might be some people in the audience today who have just neglected to pray. And you, this past week or month or year, or however long, you've become so wrapped up and consumed and worry, and it's just dawned on you from looking at God's Word, you hadn't been praying about it like you should be. Paul says here that before we let our anxious thoughts turn us into worry warts and nervous Nellies, we've got to turn them into prayers. Paul says, instead of getting carried away with worry, we need to carry all those worries to God with thanksgiving. Boy, that phrase stands out to me in this passage. With thanksgiving. So that means when we take all this junk to God, all of this stuff that we're worried about, we, we also do so mindful of the ways that God has blessed us. So we're not just thinking about the things that we're concerned about. We're thinking about the gifts that come from God's hand. And it is that sort of attitude with which we approach the Lord that begins to transform us and to lift these burdens of worry off our shoulders. So Paul says, not only should you be taking this stuff to the Lord, he says, he reveals to us the manner in which we should be carrying it to the Lord with thanksgiving, with gratitude. Because some of you are so concerned with worry, you've neglected the ways that God has blessed you. And you've forgotten the gifts that you are enjoying that come from His hand. So when you start lifting these worries up to God, make sure you're also reflecting on the ways that God has blessed you. And Just watch. Just watch how you start to change. How your mind changes and your heart changes and your life changes. When you take these worries to God with thanksgiving, And what is it that we get in return? Paul says in verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when we take all these worries to God, when we pray to God about all that stuff, Is it that we get all of our prayers answered in the way that we think they should be answered or in the way that we want them to be answered? No. But what we do get is something that's better than that. And it's peace. It's peace. And maybe there are some of you here who, and you say, I've been worried for a long time. And I've been praying. But for some reason, that peace has eluded me. And it just seems out of my grasp every time I reach for it. And I don't know what to tell you except keep praying. And keep carrying these worries and anxieties and concern to the Lord. And I don't know what to tell you except God works... on a different timetable than, than we do. And so trust in Him. And continue to live like a person of faith even when you don't feel like it. And continue to pray even if you feel like you've tried it and it doesn't work anymore. Keep praying. Keep reaching for that peace. Because the promise of the Scriptures here, the promise that Paul lays before us is 
If you carry your worries and your anxiety to the Lord, you will receive peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace. Peace from knowing that God's got this. Peace that comes from being able to discern what is a silly worry and what is a genuine concern. And he says, peace which surpasses all understanding. An incomprehensible peace. A peace that defies reason and rationality. It's a peace that the world's not going to be be able to understand. It's a peace that you're not going to be able to quantify. It is a peace that just goes beyond anything that we can grasp. Peace that surpasses all understanding. And that will guard you and it will protect your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So the road from worry to peace is paved with prayer. The road from anxiety and worry to peace, which is what God wants to give us, an inner peace, an inner knowledge, despite outer storms, that God's got this, that everything is going to happen that's supposed to happen. That journey from worry to peace is paved with prayer. So the message this morning is stop worrying. Start praying. Experience peace. On February 20th of 1862, Abraham Lincoln's son, Willie, passed away of a typhoid-like disease. And he was only 11 years old. And this had a great impact on the Lincoln family and on Abraham and his wife especially, as we would imagine. A few days later, they had the funeral for young Willie. And a New York City minister named Dr. Phineas Gurley was selected to do the eulogy. And he spoke words on that occasion that brought great comfort to the Lincoln family. But there was one sentence that became especially meaningful to President Lincoln in particular. Dr. Gurley said this. He said, What we need in the hour of trial and what we should seek by earnest prayer is confidence in Him who sees the end from the beginning and doeth all things well. What we need is trust in Him who knows the end from the beginning. God's the only one who knows that. He's the only one who can look at history from above and beyond and see the beginning from the end. The rest of us are are stuck here and our view is limited. We're, We're just here in our small, short lives. God sees it all and He doeth all things well. So don't worry. It's unproductive. Don't worry. It betrays a lack of trust in God. Don't worry. All this worry you're doing about lesser things is preventing you from being concerned about that which is most important. Don't worry. Trust in the God who doeth all things well. And you will find a place of contentment, like Paul did, despite any circumstance that you may face. We're about to sing the song, Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary. And truly, if you struggle with worry and anxiety, the answer for you is found at the foot of the cross. And maybe you have yet to come to kneel before Jesus at the cross to confess that the man hanging there is the Lord and the Savior of the earth. 
to repent of your old way of life, to be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will rise up a new creature, a child of God, a member of His family, one who can be assured a life forever in His presence. If you are laden with with worry, if you are bowed down with anxiety, then the answer for you is Jesus Christ. Truly, your burdens this morning can be lifted at Calvary. If you would only come and be obedient to the gospel, or if you're struggling with worry, if you're dealing with one of the things that we have mentioned, or maybe something that we haven't mentioned, and you need the prayers of this church family. Listen, we've had some folks, some brothers and sisters to come before this body with their needs, with their concerns. They've asked for prayer, and they have been greatly encouraged and blessed. And so will you, if you decide to come right now as we stand and sing.